0: We are so glad you guys are here. We're so glad to kick off 2023 with you this morning. Thanks so much for making us a part of your Sunday morning. Before I jump into our message this morning, I want to give a quick announcement to all the men In the room this morning And those joining us online this morning We have a men's retreat coming up On January the 27th and 28th This is a Friday and a Saturday um, And it's going to be at Central Church Is This really going to be kind of a cool and exciting thing Where we're going to come together with many other churches Grace Bible is going to be a part of it Obviously Central, it's at Central Um, And um, Declaration Church, just to name a few Lots of churches, they're men all coming together It's going to be a great week Weekend, and I just want to encourage you guys, maybe grab a few buddies and sign up. Here's the QR code. Um, I know, ladies, it's going to be really tempting for you to, like, I'm going to just go ahead and snapshot that, and then I can just, like, help him out a little later. But let your guy, let your man do this himself. But, uh, guys, I just really want to encourage you to join us uh, to be a part of this weekend. It's going to be a great weekend. The theme of it is going to be knowing God more fully equips us to follow Jesus more faithfully, to really come to know God. I mean, I mean, this could be a, a great first step uh, here in 2023 for you spiritually, and to be able to do this with some other guys it could be a really great weekend. So I encourage you to be a part of that. You get more information right there on the QR code, and we'll be sharing some more information as we get a little closer, but it'll be Friday night and Saturday, so, and then we'll be back here on Sunday. So let's dive into our message this morning, <clears throat> and I want to begin with a question, Okay as we start this new, your future self will thank you. Here's the question. What spiritual attribute is most foundational to all the others? What spiritual, you know, quality... What spiritual um, marker that you would look to to say, okay, this one kind of helps all the rest of them? Now, to answer this question, I want us to—I want to just share it with you by way of just verbally sharing it with you, where the apostle Paul basically gave us a list of all the spiritual virtues that the that the Spirit of God wants to develop in us as we grow and we walk in this relationship with God. Over in Galatians chapter 5, this is a little letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in Galatia, and in the letter, he explains, here's what God's ultimate objective, what he's trying to manifest and to grow, to bring to fruition in your life through the Spirit of God. Here's what he's doing, and he says in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, he says, and here is the fruit of the Spirit. They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and here it is, self-control. He waits to the end of the list of nine to name the one thing that is most instrumental to do all the rest, self-control. Think about it for just a second. Can you even, let's take the first word, love, love, joy, peace, patience, right? Love, if we were going to love and be faithfully loving in a relationship with any person or with God, could you be faithful in a relationship without (laughs) self-control? Not on your life. Nobody could. You have to have self-control. It is required. It is essential. It is one of those things that it's not optional, we we have to grow in that. If we want to get better at any of the most important qualities or goals or attributes or resolutions that you may have for your life, it's going to require self-control, and that's part of why we're talking about it. But I'm also talking about it because you and I live in a day where our culture and our world is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, The self doesn't need to be controlled. The self needs to be liberated. The self needs to be able to do whatever the self wants to do. And anybody who sells says otherwise probably should be locked up. <laughs> and that is very much the world that we're living in today. And over and over we see in Scripture that no, that is not the way to freedom. You would think that letting yourself do whatever you want might be a path to freedom. But what Scripture teaches us over and over, we're going to look at it today, that is actually the path to incarceration. It is a path to becoming a slave. It is a path to self self-deterioration and self-destruction. So when we ask the question, why self-control instead of self-liberation, we have to ask the question, is self-liberation, is that actually moving us towards being like better people? Is it helping us to flourish as human beings? And even more importantly, if we're gonna look at today, does it bring us in alignment with the way that God created us as human beings? Or is it bringing us out of alignment? and it's creating more problems. Now that's a great question to ask in the day that we live in. And there has actually been an enormous amount of research that's been done on this, going all the way back to one of the the biggest landmark research that was done in Stanford University back in the 1960s where they looked at this correlation between people who had developed self-control and what kind of result did it bring to their life. And it was an extraordinary the, the difference that developing this one attribute in your life could do. And what they found over and over in the study was that those who had developed self-control had higher levels of happiness in their relationships, higher incomes, they were more sociable, they were more honest, they were more sacrificial, they had lower body mass index, hello, okay, they had lower depression rates, they had lower anxiety, lower substance abuse, and they even lived longer. The researchers came away from looking at self-control and saying that right there, if we could bottle that stuff up, it would be the single most valuable product in the world because everybody would want it. It does so much good for us. It just makes sense that God would say, and this is what I want and need for every person who follows me needs to grow in self-control. But this morning, we're going to ask the next question, kind of going a little bit deeper. Why? Why do we want self-control? So if self-control can help us to become more successful, it can make us fitter, make us look better, make us you know fit into clothes we hadn't li- been able to fit in, in a long time. Great. Why? Why do you want to do that? To impress other people? You want to impress yourself? Why do you want to do? What is the why behind your resolutions? What is the why behind your goals going into 2023? This is such an important question to ask because we tend to want. We tend to want it, it being self-control, for what the results will <clears throat> give us. <clears throat> because that is the thing that will get us recognized. It will get us applause, recognition, appreciation, trophies, etc. But really interesting, I was challenged recently reading an article by a man named Clayton Christensen. He's a business thinker and writer, a graduate from the Harvard Business School and he was writing about his other Harvard colleagues and the alarming result that was coming from their lives. And this is what he said. He said, over the years I have watched the fates of my HBS or Harvard Business School classmates unfold. I've seen more and more of them come to reunions unhappy, divorced, and alienated from their children. He says, I can guarantee you that not a single one of them graduated with the deliberate strategy of getting divorced, raising children who would become estranged from them, and yet a shocking number of them implemented that strategy perfectly. And it's not just Harvard Business School graduates, as you and I know. It's people that live right here in the Brazos Valley. It's you, it's me, it's, it's other people that fall into this, this uh, un. Uh, unchosen kind of lane of saying, wait a minute, I didn't want to end up here. I don't want to feel like this. I don't want uh, to have this kind of a life. So the question we have to ask, and Christensen ask, what went wrong? What went wrong for these people? He goes on to say it's because their life slowly over time became all about them. Their careers became all about them. Their lives and the relationships became about them. And it became, um, it, it forced them into a place of being lonely and it pushed other people away. And he says, this is what's so alarming about this is that Harvard Business School graduates, I mean, they're highly motivated. They're highly successful. They are going after everything everybody else says, that's what I want. I want to be really rich. I want to have all the accolades. I want to get recognition. I want to have all the, he's saying, and these people, to be that brutally honest, to wake up and say, my life is hollow unhappiness, and I have done everything the world said right, and I'm winding up at a, the wrong place. In other words, I have, I'm discovering I'm living for the wrong purpose. And this is what Christensen said. He says, they didn't keep the purpose of their lives front and center. And, and, and maybe for many of them, they didn't even know what the purpose was they substituted what the purpose that should have been for the thing that they were handed by the culture. And he says, I feel like I was rescued from this fate because I was challenged by a mentor back when he was at Oxford University to, to put into practice a, what I would call a spiritual practice every day. And this is what he said he did. He said, I decided to spend an hour every night reading, thinking, and praying about Why God put me on this earth? Such a good question. In other words, he's drilling down on his purpose. Why am I here in the first place? You need to know why you're here or you will wind up in the wrong place. You need to know. It doesn't matter how successful you are. It doesn't matter how much achievement that you you gain in this life. How wealthy you are millions, billions of dollars will not fix a wrong purpose. As a matter of fact, I'll put it this way. Purpose is more important than achievement. We push our kids to achieve, 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 achieve. Why? To what end? Do we give them a why? Are we giving them a purpose to live for? Or is it just do really well in school? Why? So you can get into a good school, so you can get a good job, so you can make a lot of money, and so you can be successful. Why? why? This is so important. We forget to ask the why. Our whole culture, our whole world has forgotten the why. But why but why be, be behind why we are here. And I love this quote. I came across it recently. Uh, Thomas Merton, he's a theologian and a writer. And, and you've probably heard some version of this before, but he was the original. He said, "Many people, or pardon me, people may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find that once they reach the top, that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. And the wrong wall is simply a metaphor for the wrong purpose. They get to the top and say, oh shoot, this is not where I wanted to live. And they don't say shoot, do they? they, they <laughs> that's a horrible place to live. You've spent your life climbing to a place only to realize I don't have enough time left in my life to fix this. Some of you in this room have enough time left to fix this but you gotta start right now. You gotta let 2023 be a beginning point for a new wall, a new goal, a new purpose. And I want us to ask together such an important question. What purpose should drive our self-control? What should be driving it? Incredibly important. And we're gonna ask the master at this question, Jesus himself, the greatest authority on why we are here, the greatest, deepest, most penetrating thoughts on the spirit of man and womankind and the soul of humanity and why we are here and what we're supposed to be accomplishing that has ever been said came out of the mouth of Jesus. And the, the, the sooner that you come to that conclusion, the better off you will be because he truly did have the deepest and still does thoughts on this issue, but Jesus taught this. He says that biblical self-control cannot be divorced from biblical purpose. Those two go hand in hand. Biblical self-control only works when it is married to biblical purposes, and and here's a, a, a beautiful representative or example of Jesus being asked this kind of question, but in the vernacular of his day by the most intelligent, powerful, religious people of his day, the the Pharisees. They come to him in Matthew chapter 22. The Sadducees, another group that were just as powerful, he had just talked to them, and he answered them in a way that turned them away, so they thought, oh, we're gonna step in and see if we can't trip him up and trap him publicly in front of everyone. So they come to him, this is verse 36 through 40, and they say, teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? In other words, Jesus if we were to distill down all of the Bible, which back then the Hebrew scriptures was just the Old Testament, if we were to take all of what God has said and you break it all down to us and we were just gonna go out and do like one or two things, what should we be about? What is the purpose for our lives, in other words? And Jesus didn't hesitate a second. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he goes on to say, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. He's like all that you have ever heard that is from God. Let me sum up the entire Bible for you in two verses. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is so incredibly important, because if you could sit down one-on-one with Jesus, this is is how powerful this is, and ask him, what is the most important thing that I should be doing in 2023? What's most important in 2023 that, that, that I need to be about? You know what he would say? He just said it, love God, love others. It's just that simple. We make it way too complicated. Now, it will take the rest of my life and yours to learn how to fully live that out, it's, it is not easy to do, it's not complicated to understand. We just choose not to apply that sometimes. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, uh, it's hard, it's challenging. But self-control is essential to loving both God and other people. Think about it for a minute. Only self-control allows you and I to suspend our own preferences long enough to put somebody else before ourself put God first. Self-control is absolutely 100% necessary for that to even take place. You can't love anybody until you learn how to, to, to exercise self-control. So in other words, it's like God's showing us this gateway, this doorway of self-control opens up freedom for the human soul. It actually opens up relationships. It doesn't close them up. It opens them up with God and with others. It is a learned skill. It's not something that happens overnight. It's something we have to begin to practice, choosing what is right over what is right now, over something that is, that is um, correct and selfless over what's convenient for me in the moment, what I would choose in terms of pleasure right now over what, sh- what is actually the best thing for me. Um, one of the best illustrations I could think of this week was all the way back when we were first starting. Um, It was about this time of the year. It was in 2005. We hadn't even had a public service yet here at Brazos Fellowship. We were getting ready. We had, like, all this equipment. We were getting ready to have a first public service over at the the middle school on Rock Prairie Road. And we needed a children's minister. As some of you know that have children, that's important to have somebody watching the kids, right? You don't want to just shut them up in a room and let them go. Um, We needed somebody, and we didn't have anybody. And my wife, Leslie Lewis, she stepped up, and she said, um, I'll be the children's minister for now. She was our first children's minister. And it wasn't because children's ministry just comes natural, and that's just, just like something that she just uh, gravitates to. Uh, it wasn't because she just loved setting up and tearing down children's equipment every weekend, although that was part of the job. with a lot of that going on. We were setting up and tearing down every weekend. But it was because she loved kids. And she loved God, and she saw a need. And she was willing to set her preferences aside for a period of time and put someone else before herself. And it blessed so many families, and it got us off the ground. It got us through that first year. It was so awesome. But I'd share that with you to say that it illustrates beautifully the first job of self-control is resisting the temptation to put yourself first. This is the first job. And, we, and as I said earlier, we live in a day where culture, the world, will tell you, no, 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 you need to put yourself first. If you're ever gonna be happy, you gotta make it all about you and go after whatever little inkling of your heart that you desire, you must go after it. And that is the exact opposite of what God says will bring actual happiness. He shows us it is through self-sacrifice through putting other people first, learning to love God and other people, actually, ironically, is the pathway to true fulfillment and joy in this life. It is through learning how to die to self and coming alive in the spirit of God that we learn what life is actually all about. And it's so powerful when we begin to really own that. You see, self-control isn't about you. It isn't about me. It's about surrendering to God's purposes for you. Now, uh, I was thinking about this this week and I came across this great illustration that I wanted to share with you. It was actually a research study that was done at the University of Miami and two researchers, Michael McCullough and Brian Willoughby, uh, they did something really weird, okay? At least it seemed weird to their other uh, research associates they began to look at the correlation between people who were highly religious and people who had self-control. And they found that one absolutely 100% influenced the other. That people who took Bible uh, the Bible seriously, like really read it and really took time to understand it, apply it to their life, people who came to worship services, people who actually prayed, that those people exhibited much higher self-control than people who did not. Now the question that, of course, you may be asking, and they did too, is how did religion increase self-control? Like, how, how did that correlation, um, how did that happen? And when they began to look into that, what they found was this thing called, um, the, it was uh, the sacrificial, pardon me, just a minute, um, yeah, it was sacred goals, it was sacred goals. It was them looking um, to, the, to what was happening in people's lives and say, these people are not just going to church, they really believe this stuff. And they said that was the difference. That was absolutely the difference. It wasn't just like people saying, oh I'd like to have more self-control, I think I'll start going to church and I think I'll start praying and start reading the Bible um, in hopes that I can get more self-control. He said no, this only worked, They only worked for true believers people who were really in it. They really believed this, they really trusted it. And uh, it was beautiful to see how that began to unfold. And what happened was that those people who truly believed it, it radically changed their lives. It radically changed their lives for the better because they began to learn how to make everyday life choices a act unto God, a, an act of worship to God, making him the priority in in their jobs and in their relationships, in every kind of uh, situation of everyday life so Michael McCullough on, in an interview uh, later on, um, had this to say about how that played out. he says in their research, the belief that God has preferences for how you behave and the goals that you set for yourself has to be, and I love this, this uh, word here, has to be the granddaddy of all psychological devices. And I love that because I'm a granddaddy now, okay? Um, the granddaddy of all psychological devices for encouraging people to follow through with their goals. In other words, he's saying, as a professional researcher that looks at this stuff all the time, we don't know of anything. There is no psychological device that even comes close to these sacred goals, that these, this, this uh, being able to be sacrificial in the way that we look at how we live and make it unto God and not to ourselves. He says being able to process what we're doing and doing as an offering to God had more power in changing people's life than almost anything they'd ever seen. And the research went on to say couples that were married and saw that their marriage was uh, a gift from God, they had better relationships and they had better problem-solving skills within the relationship. They were able to, to resolve conflict better than those who did not. People who saw their bodies as a gift from God, as a temple of the Holy Spirit. He said they had adopted much healthier lifestyles than people who did not. People who saw their careers as a calling from God. It was something as a gift from God. They worked harder and they did a much better job at their job than those people who did not. It affected every single area that they studied. People who had taken on this, what he calls the granddaddy of all psychological devices, of being able to see that God is involved in all of it, and we're doing it as unto God. It's really interesting, Dr. Sarah Schnitger over at Baylor University, she's a psychology professor, also has done some research on this, and this is what she said about that. I thought this was so fascinating. She says, virtue formation, and that's what we're talking about here, self, um, this, this whole idea of, of working on self-control, virtue formation historically wasn't the domain of psychology. It was done in the context of the church, and it had an overarching purpose, and she tells us what the purpose was. It was about honoring God, benefiting community. Secular efforts to build self control have been ineffective because they do not have the spiritual telos or purpose. When people are pursuing sanctified goals, they pursue them differently. Sanctified goals, she says, doing it unto the Lord. This is so powerful that this is the greatest psychological device that we know of in humankind, and it belongs to God how to change your behavior, having, exercising more self-control in 2023 and doing it for the purposes of God, loving him, loving others, it's gonna come down to learning how to do it unto God. Now, wouldn't you know it? That was something that was written about a thousand years, 2,000 years ago, rather, by the Apostle Paul. He's taking the teaching of Jesus He says, let me help you to understand what you ought to be doing. He writes this in his letter to the church in Colossae. uh, Colossae. He says in chapter three, verse 23, he says, whatever you do, whatever you do, this is from the Amplified version, whatever your task may be, work from the soul. That is, put your very best effort Put in your very best effort as something done for the Lord and not for men. And I want you to see the overlap with this verse and what Jesus said over in Matthew 22 36 through 40, where he says, Love God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And he's saying, Whatever your task may be, work from the soul. Another way to translate this is work from the heart. The New International Version says it this way. Whatever you do, work at it with all your, let's say it together, all your your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. This is sanctified goals. This is what it means to live unto the Lord. And this is what Paul was saying, whatever you do, Not just at work, not just at home, not just household chores or what you do for your spouse or what you do for your kids or what you do for your parents or your, you you know, like all the things that you do, look at it as unto the Lord, unto the Lord. Now, if I could be just perfectly honest as a pastor, there are times I forget this. There are times where I'm in the middle of my work week and I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm sure you probably can relate to this and I am not thinking this is spiritual work. I'm just thinking it's just work. (laughs) I gotta get this done. And it's not that you and I have bad goals. Many times they're they're good goals. We just leave God out of it sometimes, right? Right? We think, well, Sunday, I know I kind of grew up feeling this way, Sunday, you know, when we come to church, you're, you're here, right? That's wonderful. That's spiritual. But then we go back home to our regular lives and our jobs, and that's not really spiritual. But that's completely the opposite of what Jesus taught and what Paul later, taking what Jesus taught, relaying it to all the churches, and even to us today, saying, no, 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 no you need to understand, whatever, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, with everything you got, don't be half-hearted, in other words, give your best, we never feel good about things we are half-hearted about, we never feel good about the end result, even if the end result actually turned out, like, better than we thought, we think, I could have done better, Right? He says, don't live like that. I want you to live, give your whole heart to it with all your heart, working as unto the Lord. This is so incredibly important to begin to understand that don't. no matter what you do, that God's spiritual significance, his presence is there with you in the middle of whatever it is you're doing in 2023 and you're about to do. And I share that with you because I understand. Many of you have shared you got rough situations going on in your home, in your job, where it is just, I mean, you're doing it, but it is, you're doing it grudgingly. I mean, like, it is, it is just a drudge. It is hard. It is hard. really a struggle because you can't stand your boss or you can't stand the people you're working around or you and your spouse are really at odds right now. It's just hard. It's really difficult. But I want to invite you today to change the purpose. You're not doing it for your boss anymore. You're free, now you're accountable to your boss, but you're doing it for the Lord. From now on, you're, you're working for him. You're, you, what you do at home, I know it may feel mundane, it feels monotonous, you're doing the same household, but you're doing it for the Lord. It can be an act of worship. It can be an act unto you, God. Now this is gonna be a hard thing, Lord. I'm asking you would help me to do it unto you and find some joy in it. Help me, to, help me to find the good in it, right? I know you may think, well, that's crazy, Will. I don't think I could ever do that. I'm telling you, it's a game changer. It, it may not feel like it moves the needle, but to change your purpose for why you do what you do, it is radical. It changes the wall that your ladder's leaned against. I promise you, it will get you to a different place in this life. And I want to encourage you that some of you have been doing it, but you've been murmuring under your breath, right? There's been a lot of complaining and whining and resentment towards the people you work for, the people you work around. That is not doing it unto the Lord. You are still trapped in an old mindset of doing it for people. It's not a good enough purpose to live for. It's trying to get the approval of other people. Scripture reminds us this over and over. Don't live like that. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of your life. It's a waste of 2023. Don't live like that. So my question for you today is, what area of your life right now is God saying, it's time for you to begin to live for me in that relationship, in that job, at home, in in, in that relationship in your family? It's, It's time for you to live for me instead of for that person or for that group of people, for their approval. Where is he pointing his finger right now and saying, this is where I want you to put some concentration, some effort right now, this year, 2023, as we get started, this is where I want you to, to, to put effort and begin to say, do it unto me. And if you will, your future self will thank you. And here's the prayer I'm asking you to pray with me today. It's simply saying, Jesus, I commit to let loving you and others be the purpose that drives everything I do. Why? Because that's what Jesus said, we're here for. That's what we're here for. We're here for it, right? This is it. That's our purpose. Please forgive me and be my leader. And maybe that's where this relationship begins for you today. It's simply saying, I don't think I've ever asked God to forgive me of all my sins so that I can have a relationship with Him and that can start right here, right now. And I want to invite you to do that. And some of you are Christians, you're followers of Jesus today, but let's be honest, you didn't exactly wrap up 2022 doing it all unto the Lord. And it's time for all of us, me included, to have a fresh commitment this year to say, God, we want to do it all unto you. We wanna do it for the right reasons as you develop self-control in us. Now next week, we're gonna talk about self-control, the enemies of self-control that are gonna come against us and how do we come against them and how do we win? Well, the scripture is very clear about this. We're gonna talk about it next week because you will have opposition when you begin to do this. We're gonna talk about how do you handle that and how has God made a way through that. So I wanna lead us in a prayer right now. Would you just offer to him, whatever it is that God's saying, give me this right now. Give me this person. Give me this job. Give me this scenario, this situation. Because your future self will thank you. God, we come before you right now we thank you so much for your love. We thank you, God, that this is a turning point for many people in this room. I pray, God, that all across this room, Lord Jesus, that you would help every single person here to really think about where have I been living for myself For someone else, for an achievement, for a dollar amount, and not for God. Living for all those other things might be able to sustain you for a little while. But they are far too fragile to hold the weight of the purpose of the human soul. They will crush under the weight of when you are longing for and looking for what you invested your entire life in. If it is not divine, it is not eternal, it is not connected to God and to people, you will find that it was a waste. Right now, all across this room, would you just be willing to say, God, I give you this job. I give you our home. I give you my role as husband, wife, Dad, mom, brother, sister, employer, employee, friend. God, would, would you just take those from us right now? If you know God's given you something, would you just, right now I'd love to just pray for you. Would you just lift your hands saying, well, that's me right now. I got something I need to give to God. I absolutely do. Thank you brave hands going up all across the room. God, I thank you for that. I pray, God, that right now you would hear our prayers. Lord Jesus, please help us to begin to see we do this unto you with all of our soul, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. We commit to make your purposes for us our purposes for ourselves and do it unto you and not unto anyone else help us to begin as you modeled so beautifully jesus help us to begin to live a life for an audience of one you god father son holy spirit you are our audience we live for you and we pray that you would develop self-control in us as we put your purposes first that we not only live out the why that you gave us, but we teach the why to our kids, our grandkids. We pray it for them. We whisper it in their ears at night. We remind them often of the bedrock upon which this life is built. Is not ourselves. It is not our achievement. It is not accolades and recognition for us. It is for you, God. It is for your glory. And everything you do for us is for our good and for your glory. And I pray, God, we would begin to live for that like never before. Let me lower your hands. And right now, Father, if there's anyone in this room that can hear my voice or watching this online right now that would say, I don't know where I would spend eternity if my life were to end right now. I don't know where I stand with God. Let's clear up that, that misunderstanding, that confusion right now. Jesus says, I have written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life, that you have confidence, that you have contentment and joy in your heart, that you belong to God. And this is how you get there. Would you just right where you sit say, Lord Jesus, I'm inviting you into my life right now to forgive all my sin. I'm trusting that when you died on the cross, to pay the penalty for the sins of all humanity, that was for me too. And I ask that you would apply that sacrifice to my heart right now. Forgive me and become my Lord right now. Would you just pray that? Asking Jesus, forgive me of my sin and be the Lord of my life. If you just prayed that for the very first time, the Bible says you are saved, you are born again, and if you just pray that for the first time, would you just lift your hand right now and say, "Well, I have just asked Christ to forgive my sin and be the Lord of my life. Anybody here in the balcony and the floor, I'm giving it all over to you. God bless you right back over here. Anybody else? Giving it all over to Jesus right now. Thank you so much for your love, Lord Jesus. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. I pray that 2023 would be an incredible year where we take steps forward trusting you, putting our faith into practice. It's what we talk about all the time here, Brazos Fellowship, showing how faith and life work together because you showed us, Jesus, how faith and life work together. Help us to walk in that. We pray it all in your powerful name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you back next Sunday. Once again, thanks for listening.